Good news. My new book is finally here. It's called Handbook for the Heartbroken, A Woman's Path from Devastation to Rebirth, and you can order it now wherever books are sold. I wrote this book after the five-year span between 2016 and 2020 when I experienced serial heartbreaks that rocked literally every area of my life, my health, relationships, money, career, social status, and even my very sense of self. And along the way, I really got to experience firsthand how dysfunctional our culture's relationship is to loss. I saw how we live in a heartbreak illiterate world that's obsessed with success and shackled with isolation and ignorant of how valuable our suffering can be for our growth and our evolution, not only as individuals, but also as a collective. So this book expands the conversation around loss beyond just breakups and bereavement, although we definitely cover those too, in order to include falls from grace of all kinds, personal, professional, and collective. So whether you're experiencing hardship now or know you have past hurts that are holding you back in certain ways and still need healing, this book is here to support you. It's also a great book to gift to clients, family members, friends, just other women in your world who are going through a challenging time. It will show you that it's only through fully turning toward your heartbreak with support, courage, and compassion that you can heal. So within the loving pages of this book, you will have full permission to fall apart and slowly, organically find your way back to greater wholeness. I'm truly excited to share this with you. It was not a joy to live this journey, but it really was a joy to write it. And you can find it again wherever books are sold and the audio version of the book is available as well. If you would like some gifts to accompany you on your heartbreak journey, you can get those at handbookfortheheartbroken.com. Those are free. Whenever you order books, you can just send in your invoice or your receipt and we'll send you those accompanying gifts. Enjoy. Hello. Welcome to the Sarah Avon Stover podcast, a space to come home to your inner wisdom. I'm Sarah, best-selling author and teacher of women's yoga, meditation, and spirituality. And this podcast was born out of my own desire to hear Dharma talks, which are what the Buddhist tradition calls wisdom teachings, through the distinct lens and voice of the sacred feminine. Here, I'll share these very talks, along with rich conversations about all different facets of the feminine spiritual journey. But above all, I created this because I believe that when a woman gets still and quiet enough to hear her inner wisdom, she's able to live her true path in the world. I hope this podcast helps you do just this. I'm happy you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, friends. Happy October. I hope that my words are finding you staying well. And I am looking forward to sharing with you today a really wonderful conversation that is suiting for this season as we transition from autumn to winter and into the season of rest. 
But before I go into introducing today's guest, I also want to let you know that I'm very excited, very grateful that I'm going to be leading my first in-person retreat in a couple of years since 2019. I haven't taught an in-person retreat and it's going to be taking place over um, the weekend of October 22nd to 24th here in Colorado at the Buddhist Retreat and Meditation Center, Shambhala Mountain Center. Just a beautiful place if you haven't been there. Very sacred land, very sacred stupa. And the theme for this retreat is Filling Your Well, a women's yoga, meditation, and nature retreat. So this is all about replenishing ourselves both at the depth and at the surface, replenishing our deep inner reservoirs of just resourcing our centers, our inner ground, those places within us that can never be rattled by circumstances in life, and also rejuvenating rejuvenating externally just through more rest, through more time in nature, healthy food, walking, yoga, meditation, connecting with other like-minded women. We already have just a really wonderful group gathering. And if you would like to join us, please do. A full vaccination is required to be at that retreat center. And you can find more information at shambhalamountain.org and also at my website, sarahvonstrover.com. I'll put the link in the show notes as well. So now on to today's conversation. Today I'm speaking with the very wise, very beautiful inside and out, Tracy Stanley. And Tracy is the founder of Empowered Life Circle. And she shares teachings that are inspired by more than 20 years of study in the traditions of the Himalayan masters and the Sri Vidya Tantra. The focus of her teaching honors life as a ritual, and she's devoted to yoga nidra, meditation, self-inquiry, nature as a teacher, and ancestor reverence. She is the creatrix of the Empowered Life Self-Inquiry Oracle Deck and host of Radiant Rest Podcast which celebrates the practices, teachers, and traditions that prioritize the rituals of rest, sacred dreaming, and self-care. Tracy's book, Radiant Rest, Yoga Nidra for Deep Relaxation and Awakened Clarity, was published by Shambhala Publishing last spring and is now available where books are sold. You can learn more about Tracy at radiantrest.com and tracyyoga.com, and that's Tracy with two E's. And today, Tracy and I talk all about her new book, Yoga Nidra, why this practice has been so transformational for her and her students. We're talking about the practices and activities that are most supportive for her during the this particular stage of the pandemic and so much more. 
So I hope you enjoy our conversation. I hope it inspires you to slow down, rest, listen, and just honor these more yin feminine dimensions of our being in a world that does not. All right. And now please welcome Tracy Stanley. Welcome, Tracy. It's really Thank you nice so much. to be here with you. Yeah. yeah, it's great to be here with you too. And we always start our conversations here on the podcast with a personal check-in. So I invite you to share with us just where first where you're joining us from and also how you're doing at the levels of body, heart, and mind. Mm. Well, I am joining you today from northern New Mexico, from uh, the land of the Tewa, very close to um, the Tesuque Pueblo. And, um, you know, it's an interesting question how I'm doing, because I'm just coming off of a five-week social media sabbatical um, where I took time to be out in nature and to work on a new writing project and um, just find some creativity and inspiration and really have no schedule, um, which is very different from uh, having released a book in March and having a schedule of all the things that needed to be done. Um, and so this morning... Uh, I was just sitting out on my deck and just writing and mind mapping and, you know, post meditation practice and just feeling into the flow of what it feels like to be free. And I then had to run an errand. And as I was running my errand, a dear friend called who was in severe distress. And it was just this, remembering of the ebbs and flows of life, right? And how in one moment we can feel free and in the next moment we can be feeling distressed and that it's so important for us to have tools that kind of help us to navigate those ebbs and flows. So that's kind of where I am today in this moment. It sounds like a rich place. And yeah, just you naming that, that's that's just so much of the paradox of the human experience that we have these 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 huge ranges. And then the task is how do we how do we anchor ourselves within within that? A lot. Yeah, it is a lot. And and I also would say that I think. Um, one of the things that came to me as I was having that conversation with my friend is just how important also community is. And the community doesn't have to be a hundred people. It can be three really close beloveds that have also done their work and are able to reflect and, and, and share and hold space. Yeah, because it's like the intensity needs to be moved through our bodies. And sometimes it's too much for an individual body. And then we need other bodies with us. You know, we need to do it together. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about your five weeks off of social media. I've done that at different times. And it's always 
been so fruitful for me. I I still hold to, like, I still wish that we lived in a world without social media while I also partake in certain benefits of it. And I'm just curious, did you, did you notice many differences just in your state of mind, your state of being, just being off of social media? How was yeah. that for you? Um, well, it was wonderful. Um, you know, I, like you, I would prefer a world without social media, but at the same time, I do recognize that, especially during this time of the pandemic, it has been a great connector and a great builder of community. And I myself have been connected to teachers and wisdom that I don't think I would have um, been connected to um, if not for some form of social media. So, you know, what I can tell you is my reason for disconnecting from social media and knowing that I was um, going to be in a creation flow of creating a new book and creating a new Oracle deck is that I am really clear that there's a certain amount of my prana and my Shakti that can go towards social media that I need for my own creativity and for my creative projects. And so I just felt you know, a return of almost like my prana being withdrawn, even from the awareness of social media, of Instagram or Facebook. Um, and so that was really interesting. And then the other thing that I noticed was the, the depth of connection and the type of connection um, from some of my close beloveds shifted. I started to receive phone calls. <laughs> Right, which is something that is rare. Um, I started to receive very heartfelt um, text messages, kind of checking in. Um, and so I think the depth of connection shifted because in our social media world, there's a lot of instant gratification that I think happens. And I think that that also gets transferred into how we communicate with each other. You know, we forget to even ask how one is doing, right? It becomes, I feel like there's a little bit more of a transactional uh, vibration in communication on social media. So I was really enjoying um, being able to connect to people um, in a different way. And, you know, when I withdraw my prana or my shakti from something, it's really like a complete pratyahara. So when I turned the, uh, my Instagram back on, I literally forgot how to use the app. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was like, okay, this is interesting. And now I kind of get to be a witness to what's in the feed from a different vibration. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had this... Um, this intention for a while to at some point within the next year to really just completely extricate myself um, from social media altogether. I think there are other ways and better ways in which we can be um, in community. So it was just uh, a nice reminder to not jump back into the complete flow of the what's already happening in that vibration but to basically just um, 
you know, connect using Instagram as a tool um, that has awareness behind it as far as how I'm using it. Um, and just to continue that and to know that it doesn't need to be anything more than that. Yeah, I, I relate to, I relate to all of that. And Tracy, one of the other questions that I like to ask at the start of these interviews, especially just during these times of COVID, and a lot of people are saying that now we're in the fourth wave of COVID with the Delta variant. And I'm curious what, you know, obviously going off of social media was part of this, but what is really nourishing and sustaining you right now? What's, what's really feeding, feeding you during these, these rather intense times? Mm. Well, connection with family and loved ones, my connection to the earth, you know, being out in nature every day. Um, I would have said before this morning, my connection to my garden, <laughs> but I'm preparing for, uh, I guess last year, the first frost was October 1st. So I've been kind of tidying up my my garden and getting it ready to just kind of put to the side. Um, and even that is part of it. You know, even that um, seeing the the plants dying and no longer producing fruit is part of it, right? It's part of being able to witness the full cycle of life and to know that I can put those pots, you know, in their spot in their spot. And that next spring, something else is going to sprout from there. Um, so it's all, that's all what's nourishing me. Um, you know, I'm living in a new um, town. And so um, a lot of the things that we would get from the farmer's market in LA are different. And so I've been enjoying being introduced to different foods and learning how to prepare those foods and using that uh, food to nurture myself and my family. Um, and then also creating new relationships um, with not only the people in our neighborhood, but the animals, because we have some horses and some goats um, that are around that we feed every morning. So it's, um, it feels very rich just to be able to, to give and to also receive nurturing. Mm. Yeah. And I, as someone, I lived in California for a little bit and I'm in Colorado now and I've, I've been in Colorado for a long time. And I, while there's benefits to being in places where the seasonal shifts are not as profound like you said, there is something just very grounding, very healing about witnessing the transition of the seasons in a bigger way. And I, I love that. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, um, you know, just in my spiritual practice, I'm constantly observing the transitions. So to be in a place where I get to really not only just observe the transition, but live in an extended transition, um, has been really beautiful and really profound. Yeah. So we're here today to also talk about your new book, which came out in the spring. It's a beautiful book, Radiant Rest, Yoga Nidra for Deep Relaxation and Awakened Clarity. 
And before we go into discussing just more of the particulars of the book, I would love for you to help orient us as to how you even got started on this journey. I know that you you began as a Hollywood film producer and you stepped onto the yogic path about 20 years ago. So can you take us back to your life prior to yoga and just what that was like and how that led you to, to stepping onto the yogic path? Mm. Well, you know, my life prior to yoga was a very introverted um, path. It was a path of really um, dimming my light to stay safe and being completely unaware that that's what I was doing. Um, So, you know, I spent my early... um, 20s, kind of late teens, modeling and working in Europe, Um, came from a a home that was very disciplined and very strict, which is why I accepted a modeling contract, because I wanted to travel and get away from home. And that was a real eye-opener for me as far as being awakened to other cultures and to other ways of living, to other languages, Um, And I I really got to travel and and live in other places for about six or seven years. And while I was on that journey, I actually had a moment of um, spontaneous meditation uh, while being completely in the waking state. And I had no idea what had happened. I knew something profound had happened, but I could not put words to it. Um, And that kind of sent me on my journey um, to find yoga and meditation, because luckily I met someone who gave me a bunch of books and said, read these because this, you'll understand what happened to you after you read these books. Um, And at the same time, I was looking to shift careers. I was interested in um, documentary filmmaking And I kind of put out an intention that I wanted to um, find out about how people go about financing uh, documentary films. And on my way back to LA, I was um, given an opportunity to work as an intern for a film production company. And right at the same time, I took my first yoga class. And so I think I was pretty fortunate that my film career began also with a practice of yoga because yoga became the foundation um, really for me to stay calm in the midst of turmoil, to stay grounded, um, to be able to kind of see through different eyes what was happening around me because a lot of people as the company that I was working for started to become more and more successful um, people started getting lost kind of in the success and in the fame and in the money. Um, And yoga was always my anchor. So that's kind of how um, I started. And, And luckily one of the practices that I was introduced to 20 something years ago at this point was the practice of deep relaxation and yoga nidra. Um, And that was a practice that I returned to time and time again. One, because the state of consciousness that I fell into 
was very similar to how I felt when I dropped into that state of just spontaneous meditation, where I felt this bliss and peace that was kind of coming from the inside. And it was very clear to me that it was not something that was outside of me, that it was kind of a state that was already present. Um, and so that was one of the practices that I really returned to over and over working in film, 14, 16, sometimes 18 hour days um, in order to really stay clear um, and present um, and grounded. And I just fell in love with the practice. And the more I learned about it and learned about the history of the practice, um, the more I think I was just became obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. So can you, can you talk to us more about this practice? Like what, what is it? And, um, what are like, what is it about it that led you to want to write a whole book about it, which is a huge undertaking. So mm. it's obviously something that really holds a special place in your heart and your life and your teachings. Yeah. You know, yoga nidra is translated as the yoga of sleep. And it really is this practice of us consciously entering into a state of deep sleep. It's a place where we give ourselves permission to allow our body to physically fall asleep and allow the mind to fall asleep. But we are always in touch with this part of us that is always awake and aware. So we allow consciousness to kind of weave through the waking state, the dreaming state, the deep sleep state, and even um, moving towards what's called the fourth or the fourth state or turiya which is said to be this place that is peace beyond words. So a lot of times when we think and we hear about yoga nidra, it is really referred to as a technique. You know, it's kind of like, oh, I'm going to go do yoga nidra today. But there's so much more to the practice, which is that yoga nidra is a state of consciousness, right? It's a state of consciousness. And that state of consciousness is very close to, if not the same as Samadhi. Yoga Nidra is also a goddess, right? So we can think about Yoga Nidra as being this goddess that has the Shakti of repose and the Shakti of um, kind of nurturing, um, unconditional love, unconditional support. And when we think about that, Um, it really lets us know that yoga nidra is this technique that leads to the state of consciousness that is yoga nidra, that is peace beyond words, that is presided over by this feminine quality of support and nurturing and unconditional holding. And even if you don't like the idea of kind of personifying a goddess like yoga nidra, you can think of this feminine quality of the earth, right? That the earth is there and the earth can hold you as well as anything that you are holding completely unconditionally nurturing and supporting you. And so the practice of yoga nidra is this deep practice where we can access deeper states of consciousness, that we can access some of the slower brainwave states 
as well as some of the places in sleep that are, um, you know, would, could take a couple of hours for you to reach them. Um, so we have a portal to a lot in Yoga Nidra. We have a portal to deep rest and relaxation, um, a portal to the awakening uh, to our lives because we learn to stay awake and aware during the transitions like we were just talking about, right? Those transitions between the states of consciousness, our consciousness is awake and weaving through them. And when we come back from the practice of yoga nidra, we are really more wakeful in the waking state. And some of the things that may be normally concealed from us in the waking state, we become more attuned and awake to. So it's a practice of awakening. As much as we like to say it's yogic sleep, it is yogic sleep, but it's also a practice that helps you to wake up to your life. I want to take a short break from my conversation with Tracy to let you know about an important event I'm leading later this week. It's an online abortion healing circle taking place on Friday, October 15th from 10.30 a.m. to noon Mountain Time. And while attending live is recommended, if that's not possible, a recording is available for 10 days afterwards. So my own abortion several years ago prompted me to see the necessity of providing a safe and sacred space like this, where women can honor the initiations of our abortions and empower us to heal at every level of our beings. Because having an abortion is a potentially life-changing experience after which we are provided little to no support. And it's time for us to change this. Whether you had your abortion three days or 30 years ago, whether you feel relieved or diseased about your choice, whether or not you've kept your decision a secret, we'll gather together to heal, share, and support one another. You can learn more and join us at womensyogateachertraining.com forward slash abortion circle. That's womensyogateachertraining.com forward slash abortion circle. And the link is also in the show notes. I look forward to sharing sacred space with you. And now back to our conversation with Tracy. And what are, I mean, I know you've named many of many of the benefits of this practice and what you just explained, but I'm, I'm curious, like if you look back at your life and the role that yoga nidra has played in it and also maybe with your students as well, like are there specific things that you can point to that have blossomed as a result of this particular practice? Absolutely. Um, you know, the first thing I would say is feeling rested, right? Um, the other things that happen that really surprise people that, and I know it because I've been doing it for a long time, but when people start to do the practice consistently, they always say, I can't believe my level of creativity has seemed like it's just expanded exponentially. Um, which is why 
as I teach, I always encourage people to free write or journal after each practice because you really returning back to the waking state with some wisdom and some inspiration. And a lot of times, because we're so in the mode of doing that we finish our practice and then just start doing again, that if we actually can take some time to just savor that liminal space, the in-between space, and we use that time to journal uh, or to free write, there's so many different things that come from it. I mean, I've, I've had students who have written books um, who really started out really not even knowing that they were writers, but feeling like they had kind of a block where they couldn't be creative and they couldn't do anything. And they didn't even have a writing desk in their house to publishing two books in, you know, the space of two years um, to people just really starting to understand the things that hold them back because I really believe that yoga nidra kind of attunes you to the truth of who you are. And when we get attuned to that truth, we also get to see the resistant kind of frequency and the resistant thoughts and the obstacles and how they've been formed and where the stories come from. Um, And so there's been a lot of freedom for people um, in practicing yoga nidra and doing free writing and realizing obstacles and patterns and lessons that need to be learned, you know, that maybe should have been learned a while ago, but for whatever reason, haven't been learned. Um, you know, I think people report just feeling overall more joy because yoga nidra does connect you to this place within you. That's always joyful, always peaceful and always at rest And so I think that once you touch that place in any practice, that's a remembrance that can never be taken away from you. And if you have that remembrance, no matter what is happening in your life, you can always go back to remembering that there's this place inside. And hopefully that remembrance will inspire you to kind of slow down and get still for just a few moments, even if it's just a minute. And then I would say that um, people report, and I have experienced this myself, um, an amplification of smirti, memory, retention. Um, You know, sometimes you can even use the practice as a way to learn and to retain information. Um, The practice is a practice also of self-remembrance. It leads us back to remembering who and what we really are. So I think that a lot of times that comes as a surprise to people when they practice yoga nidra because they don't realize the depth where you can go into this practice. Um, And those are just a few of the places that you can go in the practice. Um, You know, you can experience, I've had many students who've experienced um, touching into ancestors, remembering ancestors that they didn't even know they had. And then they ask someone in their family and they say, and they describe the experience and they say, oh, this is this person receiving teachings, even from ancestors, like recipes from ancestors. So there's a lot that can happen in yoga nidra. Are you really going into a portal um, of the unknown 
a place that is both full and empty at the same time. So um, it requires the real surrender to be able to receive the, the wisdom and the beauty that can come from the practice. Yes, and even just what the initial benefit that you named of feeling rested, like that is so profound. And it, it seems like everything you named after that is like comes from a state of being rested. And it it seems like a pra- one of the core practices to be an antidote to modern living, which is all about being exhausted and lifting us up and out of ourselves. But just so much opens up when, when we can be deeply at rest. Yeah, it's, it's very true. You know, the practice is definitely counterculture. Um, you know, there's definitely uh, one of the things that, you know, I've questions, one of the questions that I have in the book is really about looking at our resistance to resting, you know, whether that's the societal pressure of, oh, you're lazy if you're resting, uh, or you're not doing enough if you're resting, or this practice of yoga nidra isn't enough because there's no doing, there's no hard asana, there's no physical, you know, real physical movement. Um, And so just because of that, it's not worthy. I mean, this is, this is, this I think will encapsulate society. So I had um, an ad that was running for the book when it first came out. And, you know, the, it, somebody who I don't know responded to the ad and said, why don't you stop teaching people how to be lazy? Mm. And I was like, wow, this is like the wow. perfect, yeah. this is it right here. It's like, you're you you're really wanting to deny people the opportunity to to rest in themselves like what is it in society that makes us want to do that yeah and so you know of course society tells us that everything that we need and everything that we want is outside of us and we need to work hard to get it that's the only way you're going to get it is if you work yourself to the bone. And then maybe by the time you're 70, you can retire. And then what? Right? Yeah. So I think that um, there is this, I would even venture to say that yoga nidra is one of those things that is the fountain of youth, that it really brings in this quality of soma. It brings in this quality of nurturing and abundance and beauty in a much different way. And so thinking about youth and not the way that we're sold youth, right? In the bottle of the anti-aging, whatever, but really in the eternal knowing of who you really are. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, something that I learned in reading your book in which you named here again today is that this was initially a goddess practice and that makes so much sense because it is so yin, it is so feminine. And um, you mentioned that it's, it was a devotional practice to the great mother teacher Mataji. Is that, am I, am I getting that right? 
Yeah. So, you know, here's the thing is that Yoga Nidra, the goddess, is referred to in the Devi Mahatma, that is part of the Markandeya Purana. And so this is thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. Um, one of the teachers in the lineage that I originally learned Yoga Nidra was actually taught the practice and the secrets of the sound of Om, which all relate to the states of consciousness and Yoga Nidra, by a woman he referred to as Mataji. And that it's interesting because in the lineage, unless you read that chapter of the book, her name is completely left out of the lineage of teachers of where the, and this literally originated with Mataji in this tradition. And then we have to think about most of the teachers that are offering their schools of yoga nidra are mostly male teachers. And I studied with many of those male teachers, mm -hmm. even some of the female teachers. And not once did I ever hear that there was a goddess yoga nidra. And I had been chanting in different ways um, the Devi Suktam. And, you know, Ya Devi Sarva Bhuteshu Nidra Rupena Samsita Namastase 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 Namo Namaha. And because my mind was so, let's just say, colonized in the masculine of how I had learned this practice, when I heard Nidra, knowing that this was the Devi chant, it didn't even connect to me that Nidra was a goddess when I first heard it. So in a way, I feel like the practice of Yoga Nidra is really us reclaiming that feminine nurturing part of ourselves that allows the body to be supported and held much different than some ways in which yoga nidra can be taught, which is like, just make yourself, put yourself on the mat and, you know, don't move a muscle. Doesn't matter if you have trauma or if you, if any, you know, anything is, we're not adjusting anything. It's just lay there. Right. So to just circle back to your uh, second part of your question from the last thread of why did I write this book? Um, I was actually working on another project and I was approached by Shambhala uh, publications and they asked me if I would be interested in writing a book on Yoga Nidra. And originally I said, no, first of all, I'm working on something else and I'm thinking, oh, there's this Yoga Nidra book and this Yoga Nidra book and this Yoga Nidra book and this person writing a Yoga Nidra book. And my editor said, okay, I hear you, but I would love if you would just like sit with this for a week or so and just think about, you know, if you might change your mind. And that weekend I was teaching at Wonderlust in um, Whistler and I was teaching a yoga nidra workshop. And after the workshop was over, there were quite a few people who came up and asked me, oh, do you have a book that you've written on yoga nidra? And no one had ever asked that before. So I thought, okay, well, I need to start listening to why people are asking this question. And the answer that came back was really that they hadn't heard anybody speaking about Yoga Nidra 
in the way that I was talking about yoga nidra, which is really about how to have a relationship with the practice. And so what I decided to do was just kind of put down some bullet points of how I've cultivated a relationship with yoga nidra and how I've helped students to cultivate a relationship, not only to yoga nidra, but to their practice just in general. And when I finished those bullet points, I basically had an outline for a book proposal and that's how the book came to be. So, you know, there's many things you can read about science and the brain waves and, you know, the sleep stages Um, but for me, it was really about how do we cultivate this relationship with yoga nidra in all of her forms, the form of the technique, the form of the state of consciousness, the form of the goddess, and how can we really have reverence and devotion to a daily practice that doesn't mean that we have to lay down for 45 minutes every day, but a way in which you can kind of weave the practice where it becomes a ritual of life as a part of, as opposed to just something separate that you do for 40 minutes or an hour. Yeah. And so what, what does your daily practice look like these days? Yeah. So my daily practice is yoga nidra first thing in the morning. So before I even put my foot on the ground, I do a short yoga nidra practice. I come up and meditate Um, And then I sit outside in the light um, and journal. So I have a patio that's lucky enough that I kind of can be in the direct sunlight. And I sit out in the sunlight um, with my tea and I journal um, for about an hour and I do a mind mapping practice. And that mind mapping practice really just informs everything for the day. Um, so no matter what I have to do during that day, I'm kind of weaving the wisdom of whatever came through from that morning practice throughout my day, whatever messages, whatever inspirations, whatever creative projects, um, they will weave throughout the day. And if it's something that feels really big, then I make sure that I have like a placeholder for it. So I know I can come back to it. Um, and then I will take a walk in nature Um, I'm lucky enough to live right by a beautiful Creek that runs for about six miles. Um, my beloved goes six miles every day. I'll go about two miles. Um, and then I come back and basically I have a certain amount of time in which I'll, I work, um, which is basically a window between 12 and four. And those are, that's when I know the sun is at its highest and my energy is usually at its highest. Um, so I'll do whatever work I have to do, whether it's like an interview or, um, reading research depends on, you know, kind of what's happening, um, in that period of time. And then, um, you know, I'll make my dinner. So we probably should call it more like a liner because it's usually around four thirty, five o'clock. And then I make sure that I make time to watch the sunset because I feel like for me, it's really important to connect to the circadian rhythms. Um, So watching the sunset, winding down with my beloved. And then when it's time for me to go to sleep, I do another um, kind of a sleep flow practice um, where I basically bring myself into 
a state of sleeping um, using some of the techniques that we can use in yoga that we are familiar to yoga nidra practice. Um, and then I usually have some sort of lucid dreaming practice that I might do once or twice um, a week. Mm-hmm. So it's a weaving through the day. Yeah, it sounds very nourishing. Yeah, it is. It definitely is. Doesn't always happen every single day the same way, but sure, you know, sure, that's, that's yeah, the goal. Yeah, I hear you. Um, so there's two pieces about your book that I wanted to highlight, and one is the space that you gave to race-related stress and also to connecting with ancestors. And so let's take the first the first piece of that. Um, you, you really flesh out how Yoga Nidra helps with race-related stress, which is also so important right now. I mean, it has been for a long time, but it's with all that has erupted in the past couple of years, it's even more so. And so I'm curious, Uh, As a woman of color, how have you noticed that Yoga Nidra helps with this race-related stress? Well, what I would say is that this stress, as you said, has been present um, from the first moment that any person of color, uh, especially Black people, stepped foot on this uh, land. Um, And it's something that there really haven't been a lot of tools to be able to have as an antidote, right? Because in our DNA, there are messages that are basically saying it is not safe to rest. My it's like life, the nervous system is always on high alert. Yeah. I mean, it's my, it's not safe to rest because my ancestors could have been killed if they rested, if they were enslaved. Right. Um, And so we can, I think there's everybody in the world can probably look back at some part of their ancestry, some part of their heritage where people were enslaved, people were not safe, people were in war, there was not time or a place to be able to rest. And so this idea of toiling and this idea of you're not going to get ahead unless you work and that, you know, you you can be seen as lazy, um, that's a very common thing that the stereotype for Black people is that they're lazy. Um, that you don't want to be seen as lazy. So you're not going to rest, right? You have to take care of your family. So you might even have more than one job. And I'm talking about like modern day, not even, you know, a hundred years ago. So I think that um, what is shifting is a few things is that, um, First of all, this is where we can say social media is a a good thing, is that people are starting to get the message that they need to be able to rest, that they deserve to rest, that they're worthy of rest, and that in fact, rest is our birthright. It's the birthright of every person on this planet. And so 
for black women in particular, um, having this permission and then having tools and having people who can guide you into how to rest safely is important. So whether that tool is yoga nidra as a deep tool that is not only a tool to rest, but it's a spiritual tool. It's a tool of awakening. Or if it's the work of Trisha Hersey from the Nap Ministry, talking about rest inspired by the work of Audrey Lord, that is another tool. There are a lot of women of color that are talking about rest as a way to be able to reclaim this birthright that we all have. And so I think that what it comes down to is people modeling for you because sometimes we don't know that it's okay to do unless we actually see someone else doing it. I was actually lucky enough that my uh, dad was a very successful entrepreneur, but he always valued his rest. And he actually decided that rest was more important than really having a social life. So he was always in bed at like nine o'clock and he was always up before the sun rose. He was always fresh and he was always vibrant and was much younger than his years because he really valued rest. And so luckily I had that model already. A great model. Yeah. He was a great model. <laughs> and there's so many people though that haven't, you know, it's like I'll rest when I when I die. Yeah. I'm not going to take a nap. I don't do that. I don't take naps. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've known in my life who say, I don't take naps. I don't do that. I'm not going to do yin yoga. I'm not going to do yoga nidra because it's, that's like a lazy person's yoga. So when we get to see and hear, and, and this is shifting because I see the shifting, you know, once you start seeing corporations using rest as a promo code for something they're selling, you used to, you know, you realize like this is now made it into the mainstream. You know, this is now becoming a very mainstream idea that we need to have a, such a thing as sleep hygiene, that we need to be able to take naps, that we need to be able to rest. And, you know, the biohacking community is already all, right, all over and on top of Yoga Nidra, renaming it with other acronyms and different things. So when we see this happening, we know it's moving into the culture and hopefully it's going to continue to take hold. Um, and I think that in some ways the pandemic really helped to shine a light on how exhausted everybody really was. That it did, that it yeah. did. That I don't you care just, who you, you are. That you can't feel <laughs> until things stop. Correct. It's like things yeah. stopped and then people were like, oh, okay, I have a week because I think the pandemic's going to last for a week. So I'm, I have a week where I don't have to do mm -hmm. anything. And then it's like, oh, all I want to do is rest. I didn't realize how exhausted I am and that this week is actually not enough for me to catch up on the rest that I really need. Yeah. And it eliminated FOMO because you know, there were, there were no other options. You know, there was nothing you could miss out on. Just nothing was happening. That's right. 
That's right. And the people, I think that what happened was the people that used those first couple of weeks in the lockdown period to do stuff, like making lists of all the things that they needed to do. Like, oh, I finally have time to do, do, do all these things. It's, they also, at some point when things didn't shift, were like, wow, what made me feel like I needed to do as opposed to rest without balance? You know, I'm not saying I didn't do anything. I tripled the size of my garden (laughs) during that time, but there has to be a balance. Right. And I think that's part of what we also got to see was that the world and we as a reflection of the world were actually out of balance, like way out of balance. Yeah. And so Tracy, you and I in a prior conversation, we discovered that we have a mutual teacher, uh, Daniel Four, who teaches about ancestral healing. And so he wrote a great book called Ancestral Medicine. And we were both studying with him during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love how you weave in some of those teachings into the book of those teachings of calling in the ancestors to help create a sacred space. And you mentioned today in our conversation about some of your students getting messages from their ancestors. And I'm curious what role your ancestors play in your spiritual practice and in your teachings Mm. now? That's a wonderful question. So my Nana has always been with me in my teaching. And I actually talked about this like 10 years ago in this movie called Yoga Maya. Um, You know, my, my Nana was a preacher. Um, She was extremely devout. She was the, essence of nurturing. You know, she was somebody who um, adopted two foster kids and then realized that there were other siblings in the system. And before we knew it, there were six other kids in the house, right, that she was taken care of. So she is the essence of nurturing. And she's the first person that I ever saw um, give Shakti Pot, even though that's not what it was called in the Pentecostal church, <laughs> you know, someone's getting slain by the spirit. She was giving Shakti Pot. And the first time I ever saw or heard about this Shakti Pot, I was like, oh, this is what my Nana was doing. And as I began to go deeper into my practices and teaching early on, I would hear her whispering to me. I would hear her and feel her guiding me. Um, And this got very, very strong um, when I was in the South teaching. And she was giving me direction that I I would never have said, oh, like in an intellectual way, this is what I'm going to do next. And I just realized that she was there with me. She was there with me. Um, And so I feel like she, excuse me, amongst others that have come lately, like literally there's been a lot of ancestors that have shown up since the pandemic. That veil has gotten very thin. where I feel that the more energy that I put in 
to have a relationship or to understand or to know who my ancestors were, all of a sudden slave records would show up. All of a sudden pictures from the 1800s from Bermuda would show up. Um, And so that's something that I'm still exploring. Um, I'm actually in the midst of uh, talking with um, the folks over at Daniel's um, community about studying deeper um, in the practitioner uh, Mm. for the practitioner program. Great. Yeah. Powerful stuff. It's very powerful and it's very real. Mm -hmm. It is very real. Yeah. Yeah. So Tracy, what is your current growing edge? Hmm. That's a great question. What would you define as a growing edge? Something that's kind of challenging you or growing you that you're leaning into. Hmm. You know, I mean, I think leaning into my daily practice, um, not getting too comfortable um, with uh, relying on outer teachers. You know, um, I think that in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of teachers that are just not really upholding the standards of what it means to be a spiritual teacher and guide. And my understanding has always been since I started studying Tantra, that the teacher is there to guide you to your inner teacher, to your inner wisdom. And that if you have an outer teacher, it's out of respect. It's not out of uh, a need Um, so I think for me, it's really being able to trust the inner teacher and that wisdom that comes from the inner teacher and allow that to guide me. Yeah. Beautiful. And what's next for you as these seasons are turning, your book is out in the world. What's next? Um, well, I'm working on another book right now and another um, Oracle deck. And I'm not really in a rush because I have this book that just came out. So I'm really um, kind of sitting with listening. Um, The Oracle deck revolves around nature. So it's a, it is going to be a practice and a creative project at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. So that, that's what's happening. Great. And Tracy, how can listeners find out more about you? Where can they find your book? Do you have anything upcoming that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, I think the best place to find out about the book is radiantrest.com. We have a book club uh, that is virtual. It's like a hybrid virtual and live book club. So if you have the book and you want to go deeper into the practices, um, that's something that people can do. Um, and then I have um, other ways to kind of connect with me and practice through empoweredlifecircle.com. So 
So those are the main two ways. And I always have things happening here and there. Um, so either one of those websites will kind of get people tuned in to what's happening. Great. Um, you've shared so much here today, and I'm just curious if there's anything else that you want to share or say before we before we depart. Hmm. You know, I think just asking people to remember that they are worthy of rest, and not just rest, but deep, deep healing rest. And that there's many ways to go and find that, you know, not just my book or my podcast. There's many teachers who are teaching rest, who are teaching yoga nidra. Find somebody that resonates with you and explore. Um, It's a worthy journey. Amen. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate you. Many blessings. And you too. Thank you so much for joining me and for taking this time out for yourself. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be very grateful if you'd take a moment to rate and review this podcast. That way other women who might enjoy it can better find it. Also, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. And until next time... I'm sending you my heartfelt support.